Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality, coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Going to delve into a fascinating area tonight, the Galactic Federation. Dr. Michael Sala is with us. He's a pioneer in the development of exopolitics, the author of, what is it now, 12 books, uh, and um, that include uh, Kennedy's Last Stand, uh, Galactic Diplomacy. He was an assistant professor and researcher in residence in the School of International Service at the American University from 1996 to 2004. He has a PhD in government from the University of Queensland, Australia. And he's also the founder of the ExoPolitics Institute, a nonprofit organization that analyzes the political implications of the extraterrestrial presence. Most recently, he's the author of Space Force, Our Star Trek Future, which is the sixth book in his secret space program series. Dr. Sala, welcome to the program. How are you? Um, well, I'm great. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, Richard. Let's just start with a, a basic overview. When we're talking about the Galactic Federation, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about uh, an organization, an association of extraterrestrial civilizations, which has a particular set of goals that is embraced by all members. So this is analogous to how we get organizations on Earth like the United Nations, the European Union, where you have member states accepting certain principles that they organize around. And it would be illogical to think that extraterrestrial civilizations would not have something similar happening. And of course, that's always been a issue that's been kind of like um, speculated about. I mean, there have been people that talked about it going all the way back to uh, 1952 when uh, there there was the, the first reference to a galactic federation by by one of the early contactees which was Daniel Fry and and he talked about a galactic federation then but what really got people talking about such an organization being relevant to our earth today is statements by a professor Hain Eshed in December of uh, 2020, when he said that uh, there was a Galactic Federation and it had made contact with the Trump administration. And while the Trump administration was wanting to disclose the existence of this organization, uh, according to Eshed, he said that this Galactic Federation said the time wasn't yet right, that humanity still isn't ready because we don't have the a sufficient level of technological sophistication to to have this kind of like revealed to the planet. So apparently this is why Space Force is being accelerated, why they're really pushing the human presence into space, because I think the the agenda is that eventually you, you can't stop the revelation that there are extraterrestrial civilizations visiting our planet and that they are organized into organizations such as this Galactic Federation. So Haim Eshed, he's, was he with the Israeli, was it uh, the um, the military, or what was, what is, uh, he's kind of 
disappeared off the the radar. But what is Haim Aishad's? What was his position in Israel? Well, he was the father of Israel's spy satellite program. So he was the guy that set it all up. I think it was a, from uh, from 1981 to around uh, 2013 or 12, something like that. It was, uh, I think it was close to 30 years that he ran that spy satellite program, which really was something that would have put him uh, within the purview of some of America's most secretive organizations, such as the National Reconnaissance Office. And because the National Reconnaissance Office has spy satellites out there pointed both towards the Earth and also away from the Earth, they would know about visiting extraterrestrial life. And so Eshed ran Israel's equivalent uh, to the National Reconnaissance Office, where he actually had responsibility for sending up Israel's first spy satellites and maintaining these and to like assess the intelligence data, you know, what what are they picking up? I mean, it wasn't just a matter of earthbound spacecraft or earthbound um, aerospace vehicles. It was also stuff approaching the Earth that the spy satellites were, were monitoring. So, so that was his background. So he had a very significant uh, history uh, running the spy satellite program. He, he attained the rank of brigadier general in the Israeli Defense Force. So this was a guy that was really up there in terms of high-level access. So if he's saying that there's a galactic federation that is monitoring the Earth and interacting with um, top officials within presidential administrations, then I think that's something that kind of like shows how important it is that we start to investigate this. Right. And what I said, he kind of disappeared off the radar. I mean, is that accurate? I mean, I haven't heard. uh, I mean, after he made that announcement, there was no sort of follow-up. There was no, um, I don't know, journalists didn't go back to him and ask for, you know, clarification. He just sort of made the statement and that was it. And then, I don't know, have have we heard from him since? Not as far as I'm aware. I mean, he gave an an interview in Israel uh, because his book had just been published in Hebrew. So as far as I know, it hasn't been translated yet into English. So he, he gave an interview and that interview was translated into English and picked up by a number of Israeli news media. And that's where he was quoted saying that the Galactic Federation is monitoring the earth and interacting with the Trump administration. But after that interview... Uh, he really just kind of dropped off the map. I mean, he is officially retired, so he is kind of pretty reclusive. And a lot of his scientific colleagues kind of said, well, you know, he must have uh, lost lost his marbles or something to be saying such nonsensical things. But others rallied to his defense and said, look, I I know Professor Eshed and and spoken to him recently, and uh, he's as lucid as they come. He hasn't lost uh, his... uh, uh, really acute understanding of what's happening around the place. So I think that uh, they really rallied to his defense, but he himself has just pretty much dropped off the map and hasn't done any, he hasn't done any English interviews in English as far as I know. It's just that early one in uh, Hebrew. And yeah, I think he, he put out the information and now he's just sitting back and and watching the reaction. Did he um, attempt to explain how he received this information? Is he a contactee? Was he 
did the Federation con- uh, communicate with him telepathically, or was it just based on his own intelligence? Oh, I think you froze there, Michael. I don't know if you can still hear me. Very, very high level that Earth is being visited by extraterrestrial civilizations, and they are organized politically into groups such as this Galactic Federation, you know, that would be very highly classified information. So he couldn't just straight out come out and say, well, uh, the Israeli uh, spy uh, service has has analyzed the data that we've collected and we've made contact or or we have been briefed about contact. He, he, he would have to kind of like speak of it in a roundabout way, citing kind of public sources or open source literature Making out that while well, uh, you know this is this is what's being said in the open source literature, so that's just a way the intelligence community operates because you can't come out straight and say, "Well, I read this in a briefing," or "This is what this is what our own intelligence analysts are telling us from analysing the 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 data," because that's classified. You can't talk about that, but you can say, "Well." Um, you know, there's there are people talking about the Galactic Federation, and and he mentioned the great granddaughter of President Eisenhower, Laura Eisenhower, and and kind of like mentioned, well, you know, there there are people like that talking about the Galactic Federation, and so that's how he kind of like was able to pre- uh, present it as though he was just looking at open source literature and saying, yeah, yeah, in my opinion, there is a Galactic Federation, but I, I think you know, given his uh, high level and status. Uh, I think he was really just alluding to what he is officially aware of, but using open source information. All right. So getting back to the Galactic Federation, um, how many, and these are all ET civilizations existing within the Milky Way, hence galactic. Uh, How many, do we have a number? How many civilizations we're talking about? Is it 40? Is it thousands, tens of thousands? Uh, what I've heard is it's in the hundreds. I mean, that that does vary, but uh, definitely it is uh, an organization that has spacefaring extraterrestrial civilizations from all over our galaxy. And you know, the, the really interesting thing here in looking at all of this is, is uh, you know, there have been claims made that this Galactic Federation has been working with U.S. Space Command and with the U.S. Navy going back to the 1950s. And and one of the people that I interviewed and looked at very closely in terms of my Secret Space Program book series was a retired aerospace uh, illustrator, uh, engineer by the name of William Tompkins. And he talked about these Nordic extraterrestrials that were helping the U.S. Navy develop a space program, uh, a secret space program in the 1950s. And his job was to help design some of these uh, kilometre-long space carriers. And that was all that was all being done in the 1950s, 60s. And these carriers were deployed in the 70s. Well, apparently he was saying that the, the, there were these groups of human-looking extraterrestrials uh, which today we can say pretty clearly that uh, this was the Galactic Federation that was helping uh, the uh, U.S. Navy develop this. So, you know, there's been a long history of development of the U.S. Navy secret space program by the Galactic Federation. 
And and so then this is where you, you come into information that Gene Roddenberry was actually briefed about this uh, Navy secret space program and about the existence of the Galactic Federation. And here's the here's the thing that's really mind blowing, is because of the advanced technology, space time technology that is used by extraterrestrials, that they were able to go back and either pick up Gene Roddenberry or someone else uh, that worked with him in the development of the Star Trek franchise. Uh, which I believe was Leslie Stevens IV, the, the the son of a vice admiral, and take them into the 2030s or 40s when the Earth was a member of the Galactic Federation. And he experienced that and then went back and was told, okay, go for it. You know, present this in, um, in, in as a television series. This is the way to prepare people for our future. So this is the kind of information that I, I think is very, very credible that, in fact, the Galactic Federation has been helping us going back to the 1950s and that our future is one where we, as a planetary civilization, are members of the Galactic Federation. So our future basically is Star Trek. That's exactly right. That Star Trek wasn't sci- sci- science fiction. It was actually a soft disclosure initiative backed by the U.S. Navy. And in my one of my books, actually my, the book, the last book that you mentioned, Space Force, Our Star Trek Future, I actually have a chapter where I talk about uh, Gene Roddenberry uh, and, and his association with Leslie Stevens, and that that this was this was uh, where he learned about the Navy's secret space program, and and that the Navy was being helped by this Galactic Federation, and that this was. This was something that was a soft disclosure initiative because you just couldn't come out and say, well, there's a galactic federation out there using all of these kind of space-time technologies at that time because technologically, apparently, we weren't ready. Um, you know, if we weren't ready in December of uh, 2020, you know, in the 1950s and 60s, we weren't ready by a long shot. But we're getting closer and closer. And I think this is why Space Force... And the creation of Space Command and the ratification of, of the Artemis Accords, how now I think they've had uh, 21 nations sign on to the Artemis Accords, that this is all the kind of foundation for Earth forming a kind of like united planetary uh, system of governments that would then make the Earth eligible for membership within the Galactic Federation. What are the Artemis Accords? Well, the Artemis Accords are a set of bilateral agreements between the United States and, at the moment, twenty other countries, which includes uh, you know, some of the major some of the major spacefaring nations, such as France, Britain, Germany, Japan, Australia, Canada. Uh, other nations such as Israel, uh, Brazil have recently signed on, South Korea. So 21 nations in all are part of the Artemis Accords. And, and the Artemis Accords are designed to foster collaboration between all of, the, all of the signatory nations in terms of harvesting the resources of space. And also the Artemis Accords has within it uh, provisions for the protection of any activities by member states in space, and they call they declare that they call these 
regions where member states have ongoing projects in space, safety zones, and that any member state that's involved in setting up or working within one of these safety zones can be protected by all necessary measures uh, from any kind of adverse uh, influences. And so that's really setting up the space command where it's not just the United States, but a collaboration of the major spacefaring nations. At the moment, there's there's a, there's something called the Combined Space Commands Initiative, which uh, integrates the uh, Five Eyes Nations Space Commands or, or their military space uh, units, uh, the United States, Canada, Australia, Britain, and New Zealand, uh, but they've been joined also by France and Germany. So that is kind of the, the seed for what will be a future star fleet. And so it's really being created right now. So the Artemis Accords is like a civilian program uh, set up so that all the signatory states can go out into space, uh, either through government programs or through corporate programs where they collaborate, set up safety zones and kind of harvest the resources of space. But they're also going to be protected by this combined space commands initiative where the major nations will integrate their militaries into a unified space command. And so this is this is how they are preparing the, the foundation or laying the groundwork for in the future, revealing the existence of uh, what is called by many who have been looking at the secret space programs, uh, Solar Warden, which is a, a secret space program that was set up and run by uh, the US Navy, but has since uh, integrated with a number of other nations, uh, such as the Echelon countries and, and France. So the... Um, the presence of the Galactic Federation currently on the Earth, around the Earth, are they basically uh, surrounding us, protecting us um, from intrusion, from, from, let's say, more hostile civilizations? Yeah, that's currently the situation. It wasn't always like this. Um, you know, there have been more hostile civilizations that essentially were had established a very powerful presence on the earth, but the Galactic Federation has helped bring about a change in the status quo where those hostile extraterrestrials have pretty much left our solar system to give us room to decide where we are going to go as a planetary civilization. And the Galactic Federation has a number, and you know, here I'm estimating, but I think they probably have several thousand uh, infiltrators or people that have integrated at all levels of society in the, the major nations on the earth to, to really help bring about an awareness and, and nurture us towards this future where we are going to be part of the Galactic Federation. So they, they're really trying to help help allay people's fears about extraterrestrial life. And this goes all the way back to the 1950s where you had the famous contactees, uh, George Adamski, Howard Menger, uh, Angel, uh, Orfeo Angelucci, and, and many others talking about these 
human-looking extraterrestrials that were here to help us. So, you know, this has been going on for for many generations, and I think we've now reached that point, Richard, where you know we are becoming a a planet that has a very strong foothold in space that previously up until 2019 it was all done clandestinely it was all done through these secret space programs but now through uh, the creation of space force these combined space command initiatives uh, through the artemis accords we are projecting our presence into deep space and this is going to be something that is is going to be at a global level not just secret government programs or military programs all right we will take a quick time out uh, dr michael salas stays with us exopolitics.org exopolitics.org and uh, we're talking about the galactic federation we'll come back and uh, delve further stay with us Welcome back. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we are back with Dr. Michael Sala, exopolitics.org. Uh, I mentioned six uh, books in the, uh, the, uh, the Secret Space series. There are seven. Uh, the brand new one out this May. Number seven is Galactic Federations Council and Secret Space Programs. Uh, getting back to the, um, I guess, the the purpose of the of the galactic federation uh do they always have i mean how are they shielding the earth from uh let's say hostile intruders do they have a large fleet out there that are that are, that, that that is cloaked that is basically sort of cocooning our planet well the way i understand it is that there have been uh a number of extraterrestrial civilizations and organizations that have been competing for influence over the earth for for many generations. But what's recently changed is that there has been an incursion of a very powerful group of extraterrestrials that are associated with the founding of life, human life on earth. Uh, that they they go by various names. Some they they're called the Cedars. They're called the Galactic. Uh, sorry, they're called the Intergalactic Confederation. Some call them the Guardians. Uh, these are this is a group of civilization which is very similar to what Zechariah Sitchin described um, in terms of the Anunnaki that that played a role in the seeding of extraterrestrials uh, going back as as far as 500,000 years. And there are other sources as well that that talk about these cedar civilizations going back. And they're different from the Galactic Federation insofar as the Galactic Federation is pretty much a a kind of military-style organization that tries to counteract the influence of negative races using their military force. This, This other group, the Intergalactic Confederation, the way I understand it, they're more or less kind of like the the ones that make the rules. They're the ones that kind of set out the the rules for how this conflict between organizations such as the Galactic Federation and negative extraterrestrial groups are conducted. And so 
it seems that what we are witnessing right now is that this is a unique time when with the return of of this, uh, and there have been a number of sources that, that talk about the return of these fleets of uh, extraterrestrial civilizations that are new to our solar system that haven't been around for a very long time. And, and one of my one of my sources is actually uh, currently serving in the U.S. Army. Uh, I just use the acronym JP, and he he was sent on a mission with a under U.S. Space Command. So this was a, a secret mission that they was he was sent on with a number of others to one of Jupiter's moons, Ganymede, where Space Command as well as um, the uh, space militaries of other countries travelled to meet this these fleets of incoming extraterrestrials that were part of this of these cedar races so the meetings occurred and they're here to kind of watch the end result of this grand experiment apparently like we are part of a grand experiment and and the outcome is something of great interest to the galactics and either we would uh, graduate into something much greater to become part of the galactic federation and to become like a spacefaring civilization outside of our solar system or we we would implode in a similar way to atlantis did um 13,000 uh, sorry 11,000 years ago or 12,000 years ago so they're here to watch that and part of the process of them coming here to watch that is that that means that uh, nothing can be done in our solar system which is detrimental to human free will. It all all has to happen with our own free will. So the so the negative races have departed. They've left our solar system because you know they that's what they do. They kind of come in, violate human will in in very uh, surreptitious ways, and and then they kind of sit back and watch how much damage uh, they've they've done. So right now we have kind of like a breathing space where we either implode as a planetary civilization. I mean, very easy to see that right now in Ukraine. I mean, if, if NATO were to kind of go into Ukraine or Ukraine or, or, or Russia was to attack a, a NATO nation, I mean, you, you could have like a nuclear war that could very quickly spread. So, and the same with uh, Taiwan. So, you know, what we have is a possibility that the Earth can descend. I mean, as unbelievable as it appears, that the Earth can ascend or descend into a kind of nuclear war that would be very, very devastating for the entire planet and possibly uh, disrupt the viability of life on the planet. Or we can ascend into this like higher dimensional reality where we now become members of the Galactic Federation. So are we essentially, until we prove our our motivations are pure, are we under quarantine? I, we are under, uh, well, quarantine isn't quite the right word for it um, because we've had secret space programs that have traveled throughout our solar system and have also traveled outside of our solar system and, and done many things that... Um, you know, are, are not not very uh, good in terms of our reputation within the solar system. But as far as the, the large majority of our planet is concerned, uh, yeah, we're kind of like earthbound. 
um, un unless you were actually like a, a mercenary force recruited by one of these negative extraterrestrial groups, you really weren't allowed to go too far into space. So essentially, we've, we've kind of like being quarantined. But now, now that that is, we, you know, we as a total planetary civilization haven't been allowed to go too far other than just sending up a few landers to to the moon. But now, you know, there's been a, a profound shift because the groundwork has been laid because there is um, time travel technology, uh, which is called looking glass technology, where they can foresee where we are going as a planetary civilization. And so the, the best projections are that, you know, we're going to make it through this dark period, that this is a test. And I think the test is, you know, will we as a planet go down this path of vilifying and doing a cancel culture against other countries and kind of like permitting uh, kind of like unrestricted warfare against a country like Russia with the world's largest nation by landmass with nuclear weapons? Are, are people just going to sit back and allow that to escalate? Or are they going to at some point say, no, there needs to be a diplomatic solution to this? Because this, there cannot be a military solution to Ukraine. Because the the, the milita any military solution to Ukraine is going to end up with Ukraine being wiped out as a as a sovereign nation, and it either being um, controlled by by Russia, or, or or just obliterated because of some nuclear uh, conflagration there. So th there needs to be a peaceful outcome, and that's our test as as a civilization, I believe what we're witnessing in Ukraine. People have to stand up and say, no, this cannot be allowed to escalate. It, there needs to be a diplomatic solution. The um, Galactic Federation, would would they prevent a nuclear um, war? Would they prevent World War III? Because, you know, we, we, we've heard since 1966 at least about UFO incursions uh, over nuclear sites in in the Soviet Union and in the United States, disabling missile silos and so forth? Um, yes, that's been going on for, for many decades. And there the people that have been talking about how um, extraterrestrials or UFOs have been disruptive nuclear uh, facilities and missiles for, for many, many decades. So I, I think that what that has shown is that they will present they will that they would prevent any kind of accidental nuclear uh, strike or any kind of large scale conflagration involving the the superpowers but i mean if nuclear weapons were to be used for a, a kind of like a, a limited military campaign i mean if if uh, Russia and NATO go head to head, you know there would be tactical nuclear weapons used, and I, and I think that would, uh, you know, th that would be something that would be kind of like in the vicinity of the atomic bombs dropped on Nagasaki in terms of uh, yield. We're talking like uh, fifteen or or twenty five kilotons, which would be, you know, tactical nuclear weapons. But in terms of hydrogen bombs, I mean those those that are destructive in the megaton. Uh, range. I don't think they would be used because they they would obliterate entire cities or nations. 
but certainly tactical nuclear weapons i, I think that that's a possibility if if um, they would be permitted if, we would be permitted to to play around if i can use that term with with those but not something that is potentially a, a planet killer um yeah we'll take a quick time out uh, dr sala back with more in a moment stay with us Welcome back. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Dr. Michael Sala is with us, a pioneer in the development of exopolitics, and uh, the brand new book is Galactic Federations, Councils and Secret Space Programs. Um, you actually answered my question uh, towards the tail end of that last segment because I had always wondered, uh, you know, if the, the, the Federation has the ability to intervene shut down missile silos, you know, where were they in August of 1945 when the uh, United States dropped uh, bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima? But because those would fall under the, get, I guess, tactical nuclear weapons, they, they allowed that, not necessarily that they approved of it, obviously, but they allowed for that. Is that the idea? Yes, because when you look at you know, those tactical nuclear weapons, I mean, the ones that were dropped on Japan... I mean, in terms of destructive power, they they weren't all that different from these kind of like um, bomber fleets that were uh, going across uh, Germany during the latter part of Second World War and and destroying cities like Dresden. Uh, that you know they were sending fleets of like a thousand bombers dropping uh, really incredible t- uh, tonnage of TNT and, and destroying entire areas. So, so those tactical nuclear weapons have a similar destructive power. So, so it, so they are very similar to uh, conventional weapons in that regard. It's just when you get to uh, thermonuclear weapons that we're talking like megaton yields that, that I think that's where, and that, that actually is, is the case because I, I recall uh, in the early 1950s, uh, when there was this uh, contactee by the name of uh, George Van Tassel, he was getting information, messages from the Ashtar Command. And uh, he was being told that the Ashtar Command was very firmly against the development of thermonuclear weapons and that they were warning about the destructive power of these weapons so they didn't say anything about fission bombs they didn't say anything about atomic bombs which had already been dropped Uh, but they were saying that uh, the thermonuclear weapons were the ones that greatly concerned them so and and i think it was had something to do with the hydrogen atom being used for thermonuclear weapons that they were concerned about a runaway effect like a chain reaction that could set the entire atmosphere aflame that was that was what uh uh, Van Tessel was warned about. So, so there's definitely a the Galactics or Galactic Federation makes a clear distinction between fission bombs and uh, fusion bombs using the hydrogen element. You mentioned the Ashtar Command. So, can you give us a sense of the, um, I guess the organizational structure of the Galactic Federation? I mean, you you mentioned this inter this other intergalactic group, which are kind of the seeders or the guardians. And then you have the Galactic Federation, which is kind of, I don't know, like the military wing of the United Nations, maybe. Um, but how, what is the structure? Like, I mean, who ultimately uh, is in charge? Is it democratic? Do, do they have like a general assembly? How does it work? 
Well, the way it works, as I understand it, is that they have uh, commanders. So they it's like a, a military organization, kind of like NATO. Just think of NATO. Um, and, and you have a supreme uh, a supreme commander of NATO. And uh, he, he answers to or implements decisions by political representatives. So in the, in the case of the Galactic Federation, they they look to some of these higher uh, councils that give them advice in terms of what needs to be done. So, you know, there are groups, uh, you know, I mentioned the Intergalactic Confederation, there's other organisations. The uh, Ashtar Command is also a military organisation similar to the Galactic Federation of Worlds, but they answer to groups such as uh, the Andromeda Council, uh, the, the the Council of of Nine, uh, the Council of Five. So there are different councils out there, and these councils are not military. Uh, they operate on a system where they have uh, beings that are, are kind of more in tune with higher galactic law, cosmic consciousness. So they are very highly de- uh, evolved beings that can operate at like the fifth, sixth, or seventh density. So, so these are kind of spiritual beings that then relay to the Galactic Federation uh, information about you know what needs to be done. So, for example, uh, the, the Andromeda Council, which is uh, a scientific organization, they informed the Galactic Federation that the Earth was being manipulated into providing mercenary forces for one of these negative extraterrestrial groups. And so the Galactic Federation needed to intervene to prevent the Earth evolving down this negative timeline where we would essentially become a planet providing millions or hundreds of millions of mercenaries for one of these negative extraterrestrial groups that would use our planet as as a kind of like breeding ground for super soldiers that would then be sent off to fight in these interstellar wars on behalf of this negative uh, extraterrestrial organization. So the Andromeda Council informed the Galactic Federation that this was going on and that they needed to come here and counteract what was what the negative groups were doing here. So that's what's happened. You alluded to concern on the part of the um, Andromeda Council that that. Uh, humans were being manipulated, tricked by some negative ET civilization uh, to send mercenaries to fight on their or alongside them or on their behalf in some other galactic uh, war. Can you give me more details on that? Sure. Well, this is something I discussed in uh, book three of the Secret Space Program series where I talked about Antarctica's hidden history. Uh, corporate foundations of secret space programs. And I'll talk about a breakaway civilization in Antarctica that was formed from a a number of uh, Germans that fled during the Second World War, that left uh, occupied Germany, that uh, actually Nazi Germany. They left and formed this breakaway civilization in Antarctica and this was a result of Nazi Germany having reached agreements with a reptilian species called the Dracos or the Draco reptilians. And, and this was actually known to the U.S. Navy at the time. William Tompkins was part of uh, 
um, an espionage program run out of Naval Air Station San Diego, where they learned about this. And so it was only after the Second World War uh, that they were able to confirm that this had actually happened. And so as a result of that group, of that breakaway group in Antarctica being helped by these uh, draconian reptilians, they grew in power and they eventually reached agreements with uh, the U.S. And so the U.S. began working with them. The U.S. supplied manpower, resources and people, and the Germans in Antarctica provided scientific know-how on how to reverse engineer uh, extraterrestrial spacecraft because the Germans were way ahead of the U.S. in doing that. So that was the trade, and the result was that Antarctica became a vast industrial hub for building spacecraft that was that would be used um, by this German dark fleet, as it was called, and that they would go off and fight alongside the reptilians in these interstellar wars of conquest. And they would attack worlds that were populated by humans, because this is the way this is what the way in which the Draconian Alliance operated. They would use mercenary humans to attack uh, worlds populated by humans, uh, but they would do it in a way where there would first be kind of an infiltration, where the humans would show up and pretend to be good guys there to help them against some 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 imaginary or some contrived force. So it was very sophisticated the way they were doing it. So and th- this is uh, this uh, area in the Antarctic. Is this New Schwabenland we're talking about? Correct. Yes, New Schwabenland was was where. Uh, the earliest bases were built under the ice sheets. So, uh, I mean, initially, uh, my understanding was that the United States was concerned about Nazi Germany and the presence of UFOs down in the Antarctic, and so they sent a a force down there, a fighting force. was that Operation High Jump, and they were defeated, the, the Americans... Uh, by this alien technology, but set, so if I'm understanding you correctly, the they basically then decided to after they were defeated, they decided, okay, well, let's partner with the Nazis and the Dracos. Is that what happened? Am I reading that correctly? Uh, uh, yeah, there was a sequence there because um, they were defeated in uh, February of 1947 uh, by the by this German Dark Fleet out of Antarctica, and and so. That's when the UFO um, movements, uh, UFO sightings grew very rapidly in the United States. So Kenneth Arnold, that's a good example. I mean, he saw these, he saw a formation of nine uh, winged shaped craft that was operating in the in Washington state. And that was an example of some of the craft that had come from Antarctica. That were now being able that were now able to overfly uh, U.S. territory because Admiral Byrd he issued a warning when he travelled uh, back to the United States. He was interviewed by a Spanish journalist uh, writing for one of the papers out of Chile called El Mercurio, and he he referred to a new enemy that could fly from pole to pole. So essentially, what happened was that. Uh, the Germans, after defeating Operation High Jump, they defeated the best that the Navy could throw at them. So now they began overflying 
U.S. territory, and they began engaging with uh, the U.S. Air Force. So they gave the Air Force a bloody nose as well. Um, and, and there's actually, it's documented that uh, President Truman did give um, shoot-down orders to the Air Force to shoot down these UFOs. And you had a, a tremendous number of Air Force craft crashing uh, as far as you know, statistics were con- concerned, that there were a lot of Air Force craft crashing from the period from 1947 up until 1954. But it was in 1952, you then had the overflights of Washington, D.C., that this was a combination of German craft out of Antarctica and extraterrestrial craft as well, flying over Washington, D.C. on three successive weekends in in July of 1952. And then in 1954 and 55, this is when there were face-to-face meetings and agreements were reached with the Eisenhower administration. Oh, uh, that's right. That's um, when he supposedly slipped away for an emergency dental appointment. But in fact, Eisenhower, was at Edward Air Force Base or where was he meeting... Um, well, he he went to Edwards Air Force Base, and that's when he met with representatives from the Galactic Federation of Worlds, and they told him to stop the thermonuclear weapons program uh, because that's when they did the uh, the uh, Bravo Castle test on March first, nineteen fifty four, which was a a fifteen megaton nuclear uh, bomb that was that was detonated in the Bikini Atoll. Uh, so the Galactic Federation told Eisenhower, look, you, you need to stop putting into the thermonuclear weapons program and we'll help you. We will help your kind of technological invo- uh, evolution, but first you need to develop ethically and spiritually. So uh, Eisenhower's uh, national security advisors told Eisenhower, no, don't agree with these guys. We'll work with the other ones. And so they then... The Dracos, met- in other words. Uh, the Dracos, uh, there's another group called the Orions, uh, the Orion uh, Collective or the Orion Syndicate, if you like, um, that's very similar to what's depicted in the Star Trek franchise as well. So there's a group from Orion and that they also uh, came on the scene, uh, tall greys from the, from the Orion Collective. Um, and so at Holloman Air Force Base in February of 1955, that's when Eisenhower went to meet with the representatives of this Dark Fleet, Orion, Draco Alliance, and agreements were made. And this is how then the U.S. shortly after that began sending enormous uh, amounts of personnel and equipment down to Antarctica to help the German space program. And in return, the Germans were helping uh, the U.S. Air Force and the Navy developed their secret space programs. All right. Uh, we'll, uh, <clears throat> we're going to roll into hour two and uh, pick this up uh, on the other side. Dr. Michael Sala, exopolitics.org. Again, the new book, Galactic Federations, Councils, and Secret Space Programs. Don't go away. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.